Thank you. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8, and I'm thankful that my wife was here to hear that important introduction. Amen? And so she knows how important that I am, and I'm teasing when I say that. I wish I could take credit for everything that Dr. Getz just said, and the reality is, um, as he was saying those kind things, I feel the same way about Senator Morrell. And uh, we have Pastor Mike Rogers up at the Capitol, and uh, he's there often more times than I am. And uh, but uh, the Lord gave me a supernatural relationship with Senator Morrell. Pray for his wife Joni as she's still healing from a broken arm and and uh, took a bad fall several weeks ago. But um, the Lord just put us together in a special way, and He has been in many churches in our state. And uh, He called me after I'd met Him. Uh, two weeks later, I was here at Spiritual Leadership Conference, and I still have the recording on my voicemail, and I think that was five years ago. And he said, uh, Brother Evertson, you, you came up here and said you wanted to get pastors connected to their representatives. He said, I want to save our state. And, uh, and I thank the Lord for Senator Morrell. He's the man up there fighting. And uh, I can assure you the times that I've had with him, uh, whether it's uh, in our state or in, in Sacramento or in our home, the times we've been together, uh, this man's testimony, uh, he has had more influence on me than many Christians and a number of even pastors. And uh, a humble man, and uh, a man that God is using greatly, and how I thank the Lord for that. I'm glad to be here. It's an honor and a privilege. I love Brother Chapel. I thank God for his influence, and Dr. Getch and the staff and faculty here at West Coast Baptist College. And I thank you for what you're doing for the Lord. And this is a needy hour, and we acknowledge that. I, I heard about a mother was making pancakes for her boys, and uh, there were two of them sitting at the counter just waiting for them to come off the, uh, the grill there, and, and uh, they were fighting over who was going to get the first one, and they, being a good mother, she decided, I'm going to teach them. This is a teaching moment. I'm going to teach them a lesson. And she said, you know, boys, if Jesus were here, he would be saying, give the first pancake to my brother. You know, and the older boy looked at the younger boy and said, that's a good idea. You be Jesus, you know, <laughs> and uh, we are definitely living in a day where we're pointing the fingers at everybody else, expecting them to be more like Jesus. And God is expecting us uh, to walk in the spirit. And that's what I want to talk about this morning and preach on this morning. The title of my message would be the spirit filled life. But let's look at Romans chapter eight together, beginning in verse number five. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful honor and privilege. 
And I pray, God, for your spirit to speak deeply to our hearts today. May you take your word, and as Senator Morrell said, tattoo it in our hearts, God. Would you, would you bury these truths deeply within our hearts, and we'll give you the glory and the praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Sunday, January 14th, 2018, just over 15 months ago, Tony Lethbridge, a resident of Australia, was very concerned about his 16-year-old son, his 17-year-old son, excuse me, Samuel. Samuel would now be 18 or 19 years old. Because his son at the time, he didn't come home that night. <clears throat> Samuel had been visiting friends in a nearby city. So first, Tony, the father reached out to the police and filed a missing persons report. The police seemed to think that Tony had run away, but his father in his spirit and his heart knew that wasn't the case. So following his instincts, his intuition, Tony got in touch with Lee Mitchell, who was the pilot and a part owner of the Skyline Aviation Group. Tony was tired from being up all night as he was concerned about his son, and he told Mitchell, I need a helicopter really bad. He went on to say, I've got $797 cash on me right now. He said, is that enough? Mitchell said, yes, it is, knowing that really his going rate was $956 an hour. They got into the air, and within 15 minutes, they spotted the, the uh uh, the vehicle off the road, it, it had been in a terrible accident, and it was not visible from the road, near impossible to have been found without a helicopter. Samuel was finally cut from the wreckage 30 hours after the accident took place. His father's intuition saved his son's life. And I would submit to you this morning that you and I need to follow the intuition of our Heavenly Father as well. If we want to see the lives and souls of others saved and coming to Christ, if we want to see a nation turn back to God, we must also follow and be led by the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8 focuses in on the Holy Spirit, and at least 19 times the Holy Spirit is referenced here and we need a fresh understanding of what the Holy Spirit of God desires uh, to take uh, place and, and, and to control our lives so that we are letting the Spirit of God guide us as Christians and as believers. So what decisions will a spiritual person make regarding their relationship with the Holy Spirit? I would submit to you this morning that a spirit-filled Christian will allow the Holy Spirit of God to direct their mind. Look with me back at verse 5, 6, and 7 of our text this morning. It says, For they that are after the flesh do, and the next word, mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally, here's the word again, minded is death. But to be spiritually, again, minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. We can go through the scriptures and find all kinds of examples of those who uh, had a carnal mindset, even good people who made bad decisions. As we think about uh, Isaac's love for venison, 
Genesis 27, we see the word eat, savory meat and venison. It occurs many times, about 20 times. The Bible tells us in Genesis 25, 28 that Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of, the, of his venison. You see, Isaac did not love Esau because he was spiritually minded. Isaac didn't love Esau because he was a spirit-filled believer. He loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. Esau was not loved because he was a man of God. A carnal mind is seen by the many mistakes that Isaac made recorded in chapter 27 of Genesis. We know that Isaac was blind or nearly blind. His sense of taste deceived him. He thought that the goat meat was venison. His sense of touch deceived him as he felt the great uh, 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 the skin that J Jacob presented to him. He thought he was feeling Esau's hairy hands. He smelled the smell of the field on Jacob and thought it was Esau. Only his hearing didn't deceive him. And he didn't trust that. By the way, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to learn to trust the word of God and not your feelings. The opposition of the carnal mind is seen by Isaac's determination to give the blessing, the patriarchal blessing to Esau when he knew that it was God's will for it to go to Jacob. You can study that out in Genesis 25 and 27. You see, the carnal mind is enmity against God. There are countless examples in the Word of God that, that show us the opposition uh, between the carnal mind and the Spirit of God dwelling every believer. We stop and think of Abraham marrying Hagar, Lot choosing Sodom, Moses killing the Egyptian, Joshua making a treaty with the Gibeonite, Saul uh, uh, sparing the Amalekite cattle, uh, Solomon's many marriages that were political marriages, if you would, Jonah running off to Tarshish, and on and on the list goes. You can come to the New Testament and see Peter cutting off Malchus's ear, you know, and uh, the time uh, uh, keeps us from just walking through the scriptures. But the only way to avoid the mistakes of making uh, our carnal mind uh, uh, the God of our life is to replace it with the mind of Christ. Philippians 5, uh, 2 verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I remember as a four-year-old boy, I finally had the privilege to go to Disneyland. Man, that was so exciting. I was looking forward to going to Disneyland, my mom and dad, and I had an aunt and some family members there and looking forward to it. And we got to Disneyland, and I remember just as a little boy standing in the line to ride Dumbo. Have you ever been to Disneyland? You've been to Disneyland? How many of you have ridden Dumbo at Disneyland, all right? How many of you have seen Dumbo? So you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you didn't ride it, but you know what I'm talking about. Dumbo hasn't changed since I was a kid, all right? I know that feels like a long time uh, to you, but uh, the reality is we stood in line what seemed to be an eternity, and we finally get, you know, to, uh, to get into the Dumbo ride, and my sister went with my dad, and I went with my mom, and I had another sibling that was with an aunt and so forth, and we get in the Dumbo ride, and Dumbo just goes around and around in a circle, and it goes up and down, you know, and so we get into Dumbo there, and we, uh, we get, uh, the, the ride gets started, and, and we're going around in circles, and all the other Dumbos are going up, and they're coming down, and they're going up, and they're coming down. And my mom is looking around, what's wrong with our Dumbo? Hey, our Dumbo is not working, you know? And, and I, at four years old, Dr. Getz, I remember, I remember seeing the joystick, uh, you know, right there on the front of the dash there, the Dumbo, 
and ride. And I remember being able to look into the other Dumbos and see the people moving the joystick. And I remember reaching out to grab a hold of that joystick and my mother, which I have permission to tell the story. She slapped my hand and said, don't touch that. It might eject us or something. You don't know what that does. I was four years old. I had stood in line what seemed to be an eternity waiting to get on Dumbo when I finally reached out because we're sitting at the bottom while everybody else is going up and down and up and down. Mom's looking around. Something's wrong with this. This thing is broken. She's trying to wave at the attendant as we go by each time. You know, hey, ours is broken, you know. And finally, at the end of the ride, after we'd ridden for a while, I finally got the courage when I saw her turn away to grab the joystick and push it up. She goes, oh, there it goes. And she looked over and she saw and put it together. Oh, and our Dumbo literally had been riding around at the bottom the whole entire ride. It just began to lift up and then the ride was over. It came right back down. Four years old, I waited what felt like an eternity and they wouldn't get back in line so I could ride Dumbo. I finally got to ride Dumbo on my honeymoon. <laughs> and, and Disneyland will not take a picture of you on a ride, but I told the attendant my story, and she broke company policy. She took a picture of me and my bride with my hand on the joystick on Dumbo, and I sent it to mom on my honeymoon. Good people make bad choices. And I want to honor my mother, and I have had permission to tell the story. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul says, But we have the mind of Christ. The only way to have the mind of Christ is to allow the Holy Spirit of God to control your mind. And the Spirit of God always drives us to the Word of God. As Paul said in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And so I asked the question this morning, what are you spending time thinking about that's contrary to what Christ desires you to think on? Are you casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God? Are you seeking to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ? Not only does the Spirit-filled person allow the Spirit of God to direct their mind, but they allow the Spirit of God to guide their motives. Verse 8 and 9, if you look with me, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of Christ dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You see, we can either live our lives walking in the flesh, or we can live our lives walking in the Spirit. We're either motivated by the desires of our flesh, or we're walking in the Spirit, motivated by the desires of the Spirit. We understand that these verses are showing us the difference between the saved and the lost. And these are, are, are the lost. They don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I love the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And you know the verses, I'm sure, verse 6 and 7. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. So if you and I are born again believers this morning, why then would we choose to live in the flesh when we have been given the indwelling of the Spirit of God? We need to surrender our will to the Holy Spirit of God if we want our motives to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah teaches us in chapter 17 and verse number 9, the heart is deceitful and above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But it goes on to say in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. John Phillips said this, Even the best intended Christians cannot properly evaluate their own motives unless they allow the Holy Spirit of God to shine the light of God's Word on their conscience. May I say, we need to pray as one poet wrote, Search me, O God, my actions try, and let my life appear as seen by thine all-searching eye to mine my ways make clear. Search all my sense and know my heart, who only canst make known, and let the deep, and let the deep the hidden part to me be fully shown. Throw light into the darkened cells where passion reigns within. Quicken my conscience till it feels the loathsomeness of sin. Search all my thoughts, the secret springs, the motives that control, the chambers where polluted things hold empire or the soul. I ask you this morning, why do you do what you do? Why are you a student at West Coast Baptist College? It's my prayer that the motive that you're here is the motive that the Spirit of God has for you, the purpose that God has for you. Are you daily asking the Spirit of God to guide your motives? Because even good people do Wrong things because they have wrong motives. We need to allow the Holy Spirit of God not only to direct our mind and guide our motives, but to lead our morals. I was praying about the message in Senator Merrill when I found out you were going to be here. I almost jumped ship and went to another sermon. And I had another message that maybe someday I'll get a chance to, to preach that I think would be a blessing to your heart. But as I thought about Senator Morell's message as he goes around and speaks to people, God brought me right back to this sermon again because our morals are what the problem with our country today are our morals. And Paul calls them our members, speaking about our, our body. And we know that in chapter 7 of, of Romans, it teaches about the law of the mind and the law of our members, our body. Now we see here in our text that the Spirit of God raised Jesus' body from the dead. And this instructs us that the Holy Spirit of God can have control of our bodies, our members. We have a world today that has lost its complete and total moral compass. We are more morally and biblically and scripturally bankrupt in our day to day. But when we allow the Holy Spirit of God to control our lives, He can give us spiritual victory over our flesh. And I pray that God will continue to raise up young adults here at West Coast Baptist College who will be spirit-filled Christians that God will give victory over their flesh to show the world how Christ can change their lives. Because our sin, because of our sin, our bodies are still subject to death. 
But the good news is that our spirit is made alive at the moment of our salvation. And at the resurrection, our bodies will be clothed with life immortal. We know that these verses primarily refer to the coming resurrection. But they also teach us that the Holy Spirit of God can give us victory over our flesh right now. We don't have to be carnal Christians. And can I tell you something? We're living in a day where there are way too many carnal Christians. Paul addresses that, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians. We don't need more carnal Christians. Romans chapter 12, Paul begs the Christians to submit their bodies, their members, to God as a living sacrifice. Surrendering to God and yielding to His Spirit is one of the most important steps in life if you desire to live in Christian victory. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. The problem with the living sacrifice is it wants to get off the altar. My flesh and your flesh does not want to remain on the altar. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. The Christian's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. As Paul instructed the church at Corinth in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. He goes on to tell them in chapter 6 and verse 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. We seem to be living in a day where a carnal Christianity says, Hey, life is all about you. It's all about what you want. It's all about what you desire. Don't... Let anybody tell you you have to be obedient to the Word of God. We just heard a, a senator stand up and say, hey, God wants to bless you and prosper you. But you have to be willing to take heed to those laws and those commands. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are His, which are God's. God desires to reign and to rule in love over us. Once we give Him control of our morals, our minds, our motives, the Spirit of God will give us victory. What is holding us back from victory today? Ephesians 5.18 And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, look, I don't want you controlled by another substance. I want you controlled by the Spirit of God. And when you come to Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit of God comes down uh, to the church and people are indwelled with the Spirit of God, uh, people are looking around at the, at the believers and they're saying, are these men drunk with wine? We have so many people today who are controlled by substance abuse and all types of sin and wickedness in their lives. We need Christians today that are led by the Spirit of God. That have the presence and power of God upon their lives. We are in a darkened day, but hey, is anything too hard for God? We need 
God's people to be filled with the Spirit and presence and power of God. The Spirit-filled Christian allows the Holy Spirit to direct, to guide and lead their mind, their motives and their members. And I ask you, will you give the Spirit of God control today? Maybe you're here and you said, Brother Everson, I have given the Spirit of God control in my life. Then will you give Him control every day? This is not a one-time decision. This is, this is multiple times throughout the day, yielding yourself to the Spirit of God within you as a believer. And I would say that this decision may very well be the difference between life and death. Not just for what we would look at as our country or our state, but listen... For your children and for your grandchildren. For Tony Lethbridge, his intuition saved his son. And we are at a crossroads today. There's going to have to be some born again believers in a generation who can look within and say, I need to be a spirit filled, spirit led Christian. I heard about an a animal rights activist who was standing outside of a department store trying to get people to donate time and money to their cause. And sure enough, a man was coming through and going into the department store, and one of the men there said, Hey, sir, would you like to donate some of your time or money to our good cause? The man looked over and he said, Well, why don't I do both? That way I can kill two birds with one stone. The animal rights activist got a little bit offended, said, sir, I don't, I don't appreciate that. And he said, well, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. The animal rights activist said, I am so offended. I don't want your money and I don't want you donating your time. And he said, that's fine with me. I've got bigger fish to fry. And I submit to you, Students here at West Coast Baptist College. We don't have time to spin our wheels. It's time to get engaged. Because we've got bigger fish to fry. We're losing our country. Christians' morals are corrupt. Our minds are perverted and our motives carnal. Where are the Christians today? Where is the young adults coming up today that say, God, would you please take control of my mind? Would you please take control of my motives? Would you please take control of my members? God, I submit myself to your filling and leading in my life. And take the gospel to a lost world that needs Jesus Christ.